So last week, I shared the news that my wife is pregnant, and my family and I are looking forward to the birth of a new child. And as we look forward to that, this week I started thinking about when this all changed for us. I was thinking about some of those memories uh, from when our other sons were born, our firstborn, and then our second. And in particular, a story came to my mind about our, our first child who was born to us. And me and Casey were so excited when we brought Judah home. It was just a new experience. And we had all this joy, despite the sleepless nights, we had all this joy, this little infant. And I just felt like that joy was never going to go away. Until one day, when Judah was about two weeks old, he woke up at 1 a.m. And as babies do, we weren't upset by that. We found out that he had pooped in his diaper. No big deal. Just a dirty diaper. We'd change him. We'd all go back to bed. But as we began to change him, we realized it wasn't just his diaper, it was his swaddle, it was everything. Everything was dirty. So we were changing him, and early in parenthood, we were pretty slow at changing diapers. So we had him cleaned up, but before we got the new diaper on, he proceeded to pee everywhere. (laughs) And when I say everywhere, I mean it was on the wall, and it was on us, it was on his head, it was just, it was all over the place. So this time, we cleaned everything up really fast. We got the diaper on him. We were ready, and then he spit up all over himself. (laughs) So we cleaned him up. We put him in new clothes. We were ready to just go back to bed. But Judah wasn't. Now, after all that excitement, it might as well have been morning. He was ready for the day to start. So we took turns, and it took about an hour of rocking Judah before we were all finally asleep again. Then in the morning, we woke up to the fun surprise of what things we had missed that we still needed to clean. And I will never forget that memory of when Judah was just two weeks old. And I want to make it clear that Judah, even during all that and today, he continues to bring us a lot of joy. But I'll be honest with you, I had a lot less joy that night when we were cleaning all of that up. And the reality, church, is that, of course, we're all going to face inconveniences in this life, right? We're going to face surprises that come our way. Uh, We're also going to face difficulties. And here's the thing, uh, the, the inconveniences in life, the surprises, and certainly the difficulties, these types of things can lead to the loss of our joy and our contentment in Christ when we become consumed with those circumstances, when that's all we can focus on and we take our focus off the Lord. That's when we start to lose that joy. But you know, it's not just our circumstances that can rob us of that joy in our life. No, sometimes we feel that joy slip away when we start to become consumed focusing on the circumstances of others. For example, when we start to focus on the fact that there are many wicked people in this life who are prospering. We see them and things are good for them. We see evil people who who really have it easy in this life. And for some of us, we start to become consumed with focusing on that. We become confused how and why that is. Why why are they prospering? We become become frustrated by it, maybe. And, And sometimes, for some of us, that leads to doubts in our faith. It leads to the loss of our joy. And there must be a better way for us to And so this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Psalms. We're going to turn together to Psalm 73. 
as we consider the Christian response when the wicked prosper in this life. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 73. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary under the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 469. Page 469. Psalm 73. I think this is important for us because, believer, the truth is that many times the wicked do prosper. While many times God's people suffer. We struggle. We face difficulties. And this morning, we're going to see how a man named Asaph responded when he saw the wicked prospering and he felt his joy slipping away. There's a lot that we can learn from Asaph in Psalm 73. He's the one who wrote this psalm. In fact, there are 12 psalms that are attributed to Asaph. And because of that, I want to share with you a little about who this guy was. Asaph was appointed by King David to be one of the chief musicians before the Lord at the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, he was one of Israel's worship leaders for the nation. In case you're curious, his instrument of choice was the cymbals. And Asaph also worked under King David's son later, King Solomon. And Asaph worked at the temple that Solomon built for God. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles that not only was Asaph a talented musician, he was also a prophet. I share all of this because what I want you to understand is that Asaph was a great man. But he was not a perfect man, as we will soon see. Now, he he struggled like we do. And at times, he lost his focus, and because of that, he lost his joy. We're going to see one of those times. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. This is a psalm of Asaph, and he says this, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So he started by saying, surely God is good to Israel. If anybody knew that, Asaph knew that God was good to Israel. How could he not? He served under the reign of King David. And under King David, that was a time when Israel was a military powerhouse in that part of the world. They were no longer the little guy getting beat up by all the nations around them. No, no, now they were strong. Then Asaph served under King Solomon. And King Solomon oversaw a time of peace and wealth in Israel. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us that Solomon made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. I mean... Asaph knew that God was good to Israel. And not just that, but as other psalms have said, God is good to the pure in heart, right? That's what we've seen the last three weeks together, haven't we? That there is blessing for the righteous, for those who follow God's commands. But, but, Asaph said, his feet almost slipped. See, he almost fell into the lie and the deception of envy. Look what he said next. In verse 3, he said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. 
From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff, speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongue takes possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. So Asaph is saying, he's saying, look, 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 I get it. God, God is good to Israel and to the pure in heart. But look at the wicked, Asaph says. Now, of course, understand there are plenty of, of evil and wicked people. There are plenty of unsaved people who experience brokenness and experience hardship. We recognize that, right? Our church recently sent uh, a team on a trip to Memphis where we minister to the homeless there, many of whom are these godless people living in hopelessness there. Now, we know that there are plenty of, of unsaved and there are plenty of wicked people who live in, in brokenness, and our hearts break for them. But our hearts are confused by the wicked who are successful. By those wicked people who prosper, who don't seem to struggle the way that we do. I mean, they're healthy. They're free from so many of the burdens that a lot of us face. And it would be one thing for a lot of us if those people were just, were just rich and healthy. That'd be one thing. But then, so many of them, they're arrogant and they're proud. They don't recognize that every good thing and every perfect gift comes from God. No, they say, look what I accomplished. Look what I did. They don't recognize God. They mock God. A little over a decade ago, I remember this being in the news, some of you might too, there was an actress who accepted an award. And when she accepted the award, she went out of her way to say how little Jesus had to do with it. And then at the end, she said, this award is my God now. And the thing is, none of that actually surprises us. But what does shock us is to see wicked people not only succeed, but that they succeed despite being violent, sinful, callous, evil, arrogant. They doubt that God knows anything at all because they doubt that he exists at all. There are many examples of this that we could point to in the world. In fact, let me give you another example one that I think really fits what Asaph is talking about. In the 1970s and 80s, a man named Jean-Claude Duvalier, I'm saying his last name wrong and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Jean-Claude was the president, the dictator, of Haiti. And Jean-Claude and his wife Michelle really fit what we are reading about that Asaph is saying. Because you see, they flaunted their wealth and their power to all the people. For example... When they got married, their wedding was reported to have cost millions of dollars while their own countrymen were living in poverty, many of them making less than $100 a month. Jean-Claude swindled millions of dollars from the government while his wife would go on expensive shopping sprees in Paris. They say that she would come home and she would turn the AC on to get her house as cold as she could so that she could walk around in her expensive fur coats. The most generous this couple ever got was that when they drove by those dirty peasants on the street, they would toss a few dollars their way. It wasn't just that, but Jean-Claude's regime was extremely brutal. 
They're reported to have murdered and tortured thousands of their enemies. Well, eventually there was enough outrage that this couple was going to have to flee from Haiti. It seemed like there was finally going to be a reckoning for all that they had done. Of course, before they fled, there's a report that they even oversaw a voodoo ritual that included the sacrificial murder of two infants. So they had to flee, and we start to think, okay, well, maybe the story will get better. But even in exile, they lived lavishly off the millions of dollars that they had stolen. In fact, when Jean-Claude eventually died, he died without ever seeing a prison cell for his crimes. And we hear stories about people who are greedy, evil, they're boastful, but to then live a life like that and escape all justice? Even in the good times in his country, Asaph saw the wicked prosper, just like we do. And not only that, Asaph saw other people join in with those wicked individuals. They turned to the wicked. They drank it all up. And then, then this thought came to Asaph's mind. Look at verse 13. He said, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. You know, I think that this, this thought probably came quietly at first, Asaph, in the recesses of his mind, and it just get, kept getting louder and louder until finally he said to himself, what's the point? What, why, why struggle for righteousness? Why, why strive to do what's right and be afflicted for it? Why forsake the pleasure of sin if there's no consequences for sinners? Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. Have you ever had a thought like that come into your mind, believer? That there are so many God-hating people living ungodly lives that are prospering, laughing, mocking God and His commands, indulging in sin, and then, and then you have that thought that starts to sneak in that says, well, maybe that life is better. Maybe... Maybe I can ease up on all the righteousness. Get what's mine. Live like them. If you've ever had that thought, I want you to understand, church, that temptation is as old as time. From back in the Garden of Eden, when Satan slithered up to Eve and said, you're not going to die if you disobey God. No, he said, you're going to be like God. I like how one pastor put it. He said that in that moment in the Garden Satan, he made even paradise appear to be an insult to Adam and Eve. And that's what Satan does. Believers, we see the wicked prosper, and then Satan slithers up and he says, you see how good it can be to live in sin? And then he says, hey, Christian, guess what? God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. Believer, understand something. Wicked people will not rob you of your joy but envying them will. And so Christians, don't let your feet slip. Asaph almost did. Look at verse 15. He said, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, he's saying, if I, if I had voiced these things, these, these doubts, uh, these confusions, these questions, he would have heard his testimony. You know, remember, he was, 
He was a spiritual leader in Israel. He, he led the public praise and worship of God. He was somebody who proclaimed God's goodness. And for him to turn around and say, yeah, but is he though? I mean, is God good? He realized if he did that, he would have hurt the faith of the children of God. So thankfully, Asaph did something better. Look at verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. See, Asaph, he didn't voice these doubts that were in his, his mind. No, 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 that's where they stayed. They stayed in his head because he knew they were wrong. He was just struggling to understand. He was trying to wrap his mind around how these things could be so. I mean, if God is good and if all his ways are just, then how is it that the unjust are doing so well in this life? He was troubled by these things until he entered the sanctuary of God. That's when it all changed for Asaph. That's when he realized that the wicked aren't to be envied because he remembered their destiny. He remembered that all of, all of those who cling to their unbelief, they might prosper, they might gain the whole world. But in rejecting God, they lose their soul. Their end isn't peace in the grave, it's ruin in eternity. The godless in this life are headed for a godless eternity. So why should we envy them? Believers, that happens when our focus is in the wrong place. So Asaph, he was wise to go to the sanctuary of the temple and put his focus on God. I tell you what, there's something sweet about coming into, for example, an empty church sanctuary to pray to God. There's something really sweet about that. My first experience having the opportunity to do that was when I was a sophomore in college. And the dorm room that I stayed in was in this big building. On another wing of the building, there was a chapel that they used for midweek services. In fact, I think we might have a picture, Trevor, that we could put up of, of that chapel. This picture, though, is the chapel's a little remodeled since I was last there. And the chapel's got these, these high ceilings. It's got these great big windows and great big stained glass windows letting in all this natural light. And along with the tile floors, it felt like even the whispers of your praise just echoed around the room. And early in the morning, if the doors were unlocked, sometimes I would sneak in there to read the Bible or to pray. And nowadays I try and do that here at times during the week. And I want you to understand, church, if you ever want to come to the church sanctuary during the silence of the week, you swing by the office. We'll open it up for you. Uh, and I'm not saying that your prayers are more effective in this place. Please understand, believer. We worship God in spirit and in truth. We can just as easily worship and pray to him as we drive our car or in our home as we can in this place, okay? But there is something sweet about going to God and being in the place where God's people gather to worship. 
I'll be honest with you, there's something about it that makes it a little easier to put aside all those other distractions that we have in life. And you see, envy comes when we are distracted and we take our focus off our great God. It's when our focus is in the wrong place. When we start to focus on the things that we see, like the health, uh, the wealth, the prosperity of people, when we start to see the deeds of the wicked, soon we lose sight of our great God. And when we do that, when we lose sight of him, envy can very easily move in and fill our hearts and fill our minds. And we need to understand that envy is going to rob us of more than just joy, believers, There's this old Greek legend about a man who envied the great Theagenes. You see, Theagenes was the prince of wrestlers. He was the champion. He was greatly admired. Well, after Theagenes died, they put up this this public statue of him. But this other man was also a wrestler, and he envied the glory of Theagenes. So much so that every single night he would go out and he would wrestle with the statue. But they say that one night, as he wrestled with it, he accidentally pulled the statue over, toppled over, fell on top of him, crushed the man to death. You see, envy has this way of destroying things in our lives, believers. It'll destroy our peace. It'll destroy our testimony. It'll rob us of our joy. You see, when we start to envy the wicked, we need to do what Asaph did, and we need to remember We need to remember that this life is not all that there is. Envy comes when we focus on the natural, the physical in this life. Contentment and joy comes when we focus on Christ and on our coming eternity. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. It instructs us in verses 1 through 4. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Remember and focus on the greater things. Keep an eternal mindset believer, and you won't so easily fall into the lies of envy. The wicked might prosper, but they too will one day stand before God. And when they do, they're not going to stand proudly there, mocking him like they do in this life. No, instead they're going to slip and fall into the eternity that that they've chosen, an eternity without God. Don't envy the wicked believer. No, instead, we ought to fear for them because their eternity apart from God is going to be a horrible fate. There's more that Asaph realized, though. Look at verse 21. He said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let's recognize what envy did to Asaph and what envy will do to us. He said he became grieved, embittered, senseless, ignorant. He was a brute beast before the Lord. You see, envy does this thing. In our envy, we do this thing where we start to think that we're really enlightened. We start to think that we know better than God. That we should be able to pursue and have all the things that the world does. What ignorance. Believers, God knows what we need just as he knows what things will hurt us. It's by his grace and mercy that we have anything at all. We could be like the wicked, walking on that slippery slope that leads to destruction. But instead, we need to recognize that we are held up by God who guides us in this life until this life ends and he brings us into glory. Let's not waste our time consumed by focusing on the things of this world, envying the possessions and the actions and even the health of the wicked. Instead, let's recognize the greater things for the people of God. Consider this, believer. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we have an inheritance in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that we have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that we are citizens of heaven. And like the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, we should cry out and say, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are, church. The wicked might prosper, sure. Their evil might go unpunished in this life. And you know what? Our hearts and flesh might fail. But God will be our strength and our portion forever. So rather than envy or live in confusion at the success of the wicked, we should join with Asaph in saying, Earth has nothing I desire besides you, God. Because, believer, it is good to be near to God. And once we remember these eternal truths, once we remember what we have in Christ, that's when we need to turn and we need to rejoice in those truths, the way that Asaph did. We need to rejoice that nothing on earth can measure up to our great God or to the great inheritance that awaits us. We need to rejoice that even when our life falls apart, he's for us. We need to rejoice over these things and then open our mouths and tell of all his deeds instead of opening our mouths in bitter envy. Here's the truth this morning, church. It's this. When our focus is on our salvation and our Savior above, we will not envy the wicked here below. When our focus remains on our salvation, that great salvation, and on our great Savior above, we're not going to envy the wicked here below. How could we? I want you to know the reality, though. There are going to be times when we lose our focus, believers. There will be those times. We are going to have those times where we stop thinking about the eternal, the heavenly things. We start to become overly focused on earthly things. When we become consumed by them, that's what we need to be aware of. Don't become consumed by these earthly things. As humans, it's our natural tendency to do that. And it's within our sin nature to envy what others have. 
Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot answer for you why the wicked prosper at times. Asaph didn't seem to walk away with that answer either. I'll be honest with you. That's okay. It's not the answer that we need. What we need is to know the right response. Believer, when you see the wicked prospering, don't envy them. Don't envy them. If you ever find that envy is creeping into your heart, you need to take that to God in prayer like Asaph did. You need to confess that envy, confess your lack of contentment to God, and as you do, soon you'll, you'll remember. As you start to confess those things, you'll, you'll remember God's goodness and His provision to you. You'll, you'll remember His forgiveness and the eternal life that Jesus gave to you on the day of your salvation. And as you remember these things, Well, then you won't be found envying and despising the wicked when they prosper. How could you? You'll be too busy rejoicing. Rejoicing in your faith. Rejoicing in the things that God has done. And rejoicing in what awaits you in eternity. But I want to caution all of us believers. Do not rejoice in the eternity that awaits the wicked. Do not rejoice in their coming condemnation. I don't believe that that's what Asaph was doing. He wasn't rejoicing. He recognized it. He didn't rejoice in it. And neither should we. We shouldn't rejoice in their coming eternity. God said in Ezekiel 33, God said that he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their wicked ways and live. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read that God desires that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, if the God who saved us wants to save those wicked people, then that should be our desire too. So, don't envy or despise the wicked when they prosper. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for their salvation because nothing that they have in this life is going to save them in eternity. Believers, as we prepare to close just a minute, we'll have an invitation song. I want to encourage all of us to evaluate because maybe some of us here are realizing that there is some discontentment, some envy that has crept into our hearts and into our lives. Believer, if that's true for you, you need to take that to the Lord and you need to confess those things to Him. You need to repent of that. You need to ask for His forgiveness so that you would have the contentment that we are supposed to have in Jesus Christ. And look, as we sing this final song, you, you can bring that to the Lord where you're sitting or where you're standing. I'd encourage you to come to the altar and lay it at His feet. If you do that, I'll encourage others to come and do the same. But maybe you're here and you know that your heart is free from envy. If it is, praise the Lord. Then spend time during this invitation song praying for those unsaved people in your lives. Praying for the wicked individuals that you know are not headed for an eternity with the Lord. Pray for them. And then Finish your time here this morning by rejoicing in all that God has done for you. If you're here and Jesus is not your Savior, I want you to understand what God has done for you. Friend, in His great love for you, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for me and you. And you might not understand why that even matters, so I want you you to know why it matters. You see, the problem is that all of us have done wicked things. We've all done bad things, what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says that that sin is separating us from God. In fact, it will separate us forever from God after this life in a place called hell. And friend, good works can't make up for our sin. 
and none of the riches that you might have in this life will get you to heaven. Nothing that you have or can earn or can work towards will make you right in God's sight. And that's why the death of Jesus is such good news for us. Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of our sin, to take the wrath that we deserve. After Jesus was buried three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he's no mere man. No, he's the son of God. And he's the only one who can forgive us of our sin, who can save us from the penalty of hell and give us eternal life. And the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you have never done that, Please understand, nothing, nothing in this life is worth your soul. Jesus wants to save you. He wants you to be a part of his family, and you can make that decision before you leave this morning. Would you pray with me? If you're here, and that's where you're at, if you're here and you, can't, you cannot say for sure that Jesus is your Savior, that you have received the forgiveness of your sins. You don't know that you know that you know that when this life is over, you're going to be with the Lord in glory. But you know that you've done wicked things in your life. And you're ready to receive that forgiveness. Friend, if that's where you're at, please understand no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on in your life right now, please understand Jesus has been waiting to save you. And if you are ready to go to him for forgiveness and salvation, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wicked things. But Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior. Today I'm giving you my life. I want you to take it because I know you can do more with it than I can. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who made that decision, that they would share that before they leave. They share it with somebody. Because this is a church filled with Christians who want to rejoice with them. I pray that if there's anyone here who's still on the fence, they're not sure what they want to do. They're not sure they have questions. I pray they'd be willing to come and talk to me during this final song, that they would find someone before they leave. And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, forgive us for those times when we don't set our minds above on heavenly, eternal things, when we become consumed with the things of this life. Forgive us when we envy. And forgive us when we envy the wicked. I pray that in those moments, Father, when we become so consumed with the stuff in this world, that you would remind us of all that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that if ever we see the wicked and we start to envy, we would be reminded that we need to pray for them. Because there are so many people in this world who thinks that their wealth, that their health, that their power, that their empire, that that's all that matters. But none of it's going to matter after this life. And so, Father, I pray that you and 
would do a great work in the hearts of those unbelievers. Convict them of their need for a Savior. And I pray that you would embolden the hearts of your people in this church and in this country to be faithful to share the good news of the Gospel when we leave this place. Because we have the greatest treasure in Jesus Christ. We have the greatest message in the world. That is the message that salvation is found in no other name. So help us to be bold about sharing that with someone this week. Father, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our lives and that you'd be glorified here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. We love you. Help us never to forget how much you love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.